Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Marriage Relationship. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. In verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. And what that scripture is saying is that if you are measuring yourself by other people and the way it's working for other people, you aren't wise. Or you could say that it's just saying that you're stupid, amen, that that's not the way that you're supposed to do things. And yet this is what most of us have done. Most people compare themselves with other people. And one reason that people, well, about the only reason that a carnal person is able to exist in this day and time when there's so many pressures and problems and things like that happening is, it's the simple fact that they compare themselves with other people and they say, well, it's happening to everybody. Everybody's in trouble. Everybody's having a hard time. And specifically in the area that we're talking about, there's a lot of people that look at the Christian home and they just compare themselves with other people and they say, well, everybody's having a rough time. Amen? And so they say, well, I guess that ours is just natural. Well, what you need to see is that the Scripture says you are not wise if you compare yourself with other people. God did not ever intend for the Christian home to be like what the norm is today, and we've got to take our eyes off of other people. You've got to quit going by how it's worked for other people. I don't care who they are, if they're your preacher or your parents or whoever they are, and we've got to go back to God's Word, find out what God has to say about it, and begin to base it on God's system. Amen? Now, that's a basic. You've got to do that. And Satan is actually, a, we've allowed Satan to come into our homes and destroy, and we've put up with it because of this very thing. The Scripture says that Satan can't make you do anything, contrary to what a lot of people believe. A lot of people think that the devil makes me sin or the devil makes me do things wrong, and that's not true. Oh, Flip Wilson, you know, says, well, the devil made me do it, and that's a lie. The devil can't make you do a thing. Now, he can put a lot of pressure on you, and he can tempt you, and he can hang a carrot out in front of you, but you're the one that has to buy it, amen? You're the one that has to receive it. And you see, we've allowed this, and we've thought that, well, you just have to have problems in marriage. And there's jokes about it. People joke, and, and even in Christian circles, they joke about how the husbands fight with the wife and how you've got to be down each other's throat and how that your kids have to be a problem and how you can't get along good all of the time. But that's not God's system, and you don't have to fight. And you do not have to have strife, and you do not have to have problems in marriage. And at the same time, let me say that you probably will, but you don't have to. Yeah, everybody understand what I'm saying? We've accepted a lot of things about marriage that aren't true, and because of it, when Satan comes in with strife and with problems, we just rationalize and say, well, that's the way it's got to be, and we allow it. When you see something like that come, you ought to jump on it like a chicken on a June bug, amen? You ought to jump on it and stop that thing and get rid of the strife and destroy those things because they'll kill your marriage. The Scripture says out of James chapter 3, that where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. That's one of the strongest statements in the Word of God. And it says that if you let in envy and strife, 
There is confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 says confusion is of the devil. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the Lord. So you let in confusion and every evil work. You just open up the door for the devil to do anything upon you, to put sickness upon you, anything. And this is exactly why, why homes, even Christian homes, are crumbling is because they're allowing strife in their life, thinking, well, it's just normal. You've got to have a certain amount of strife, but you do not have to have a certain amount of strife. If you give place in strife, you open up the door for Satan to run over you and do just anything he wants to. So you need to begin to see how important the Christian home is, how important your relationship is, and you need to see how important it is to guard it against strife. You do not have to have your home full of strife. Amen? Now, it's really important that you see that. Now, some of you may be saying, I don't understand that. You hadn't yet shown us how to get rid of it. Well, we're going to get into that. But the first thing we're trying to do is to get to where we aren't comparing ourselves among ourselves. And there's a lot of people that would listen to what I'm saying today, and they would sit there and say, well, I hear what you're saying, but you just can't tell me that so-and-so's wrong. I know some good Christian people that have problems in their home. Well, they may be good Christian people having problems in their home, but they don't have to have problems in their home. If they're having problems, it's because they have not released their faith in that area. Amen? You don't have to have it. You don't have to have problems in your home any more than you have to have sickness in your body. Most people that are receiving the truth today through the word, healing is one of the areas that people really begin to zero in on first because it's something that affects us. All of us have been sick and it's real easy to see the principles. And a lot of people are getting established that I do not have to be sick. But then they don't apply those same principles of faith in other areas and they don't realize that sickness, or let me say that strife, is just as much a tool of the devil as sickness is. The Bible didn't say that where sickness is, there is envy, I mean, there is confusion in every evil work. It says where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Strife is a deadlier weapon than sickness against you. Strife will kill you in a hurry. And so you've got to begin to see that and see that you should no more allow strife into your home than you'd allow the cancer to come into your home, than you'd allow the plague to come into your home, because cancer is easier to deal with than strife. Y'all see that? Also, there's a lot of things we'll be getting into again, but it's a uh, husband and wife relationship is the strongest unity and the strongest bond that, you can, that will ever exist. When you get a husband and wife in agreement, God looks at you as being one. And when you get in agreement and start agreeing over things, I guarantee you there is no stronger bond. Satan cannot destroy that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 says that two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their labor. Let's turn over and read that. I don't think I can quote all of it. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, anybody know where Ecclesiastes is? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Saul of Solomon. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So those scriptures right there show you that it's better. Two are better than one. God in the Garden of Eden, let's look over in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. 
where the Lord instituted the home. In verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And God right there instituted the marriage for our perfect man. Y'all see that? For a perfect, sinless man, one that did not have any inadequacies, God said it was not good that he should be alone. So marriage was ordained by God. It's because the two are better than one. Two shall stand. If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So God saw the importance of a home. God instituted it. It is the basic structure in the world today. A lot of people talk about governments, and they talk about the strife and the chaos going on in governments. I guarantee you, if you could get a revival in the homes today, in Christian homes, I guarantee you this nation would straighten out in short order. And that's the truth. But the problem is, you see, that the homes have been so neglected, and Satan has come in and strife and division in the homes, and there's not even unity in the homes. How are you going to get a nation unified if you can't get the homes unified? How are you going to get a church in agreement if you can't get the individual partners in a marriage in agreement? If you can't get it together with your husband and wife, how do you think that you're going to ever get it together with your brothers and sisters? Amen or oh me? Some of you are looking at me like you, you didn't like that, but that's truth, amen. If you've got to be able to get it together at home. So you need to realize that the home is the basic structure that God is building his church around. God instituted the home before he instituted the church. And the scripture calls the man the high priest of his home. And you see there's again a system just like there is in church. And there's supposed to be a unity. And because Christians have not put this kind of priority on their home and they've allowed strife and division to come in, Satan has been destroying homes. And I guarantee if he can destroy your home, he can destroy the relationship with brothers and sisters. He can let in strife. And an another thing, I've seen a lot of people come to these meetings. They get all turned on and excited. Praise God. They get hold of faith. They're getting encouraged and excited. And all they've got to do is go home and let a husband or let a wife jab them a couple of times and they'll lose everything they've got. They'll get into strife. They'll get into division over it. Amen. You all understand what I'm talking about? But if you can't get it together at home, I promise you, you can come to these meetings and Satan can prod you at home and unless you're just real strong, you're going to fall flat of your face. So you need to start putting a high priority on your home. Now, let me also say what we're going to minister today is the way God intended it to be. And I know that there's a lot of you here that your marriage is not the way God intended it to be. And maybe you're unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And there has to be some uh, answers to that. Well, I can't minister on all of it at once. So we're going to minister, first of all, about how God intended it to be. If we have time, we'll get into that. Maybe we'll take some questions and answers and um, answer some of those things today. But even if your home is not what it should be, the Lord gives you promises about how to straighten it out. Whether your home, whether you have two believers that are unified or not, or whether it's unequally yoked together, God's Word tells you things to do about it. And one of your priorities ought to be upon your home. If you'd spend as much time praying for your home as you do for yourself and for your healing and for your finances and for your church, I guarantee you'd see some things change. The Lord reminds me of this because lots of times I'll get in intercession and I'll say, Lord, there's so much I need to be praying about. And he said, well, why don't you start with your family? Why don't you pray for your wife and why don't you pray for your kids? And did you know Jamie acts a lot better when I pray for her? Amen. 
I don't know if it's her that changes or if it's me. Praise the Lord. I had a lady come up one time that hated me. She just literally hated me. And then she came around later and she said that she started praying for me. And she says, you know, it's amazing how much you changed when I started praying for you. And I don't really think that it was me that changed. It was her that changed. When she quit griping and complaining and got into praying for me, the Lord began to change her. And anyway, you'll find that that happens as you begin to pray for your home and as you really begin to put an importance on your home and you begin to understand how important it is to get your home together, well, then your attitude is going to change. You're going to think twice before you start getting in strife because you'll realize that here you are praying for the thing and yet you're destroying your own prayers by your strife. So it'll, it'll get you in tow first, and you're the key to your home. Let me also say that if there is an unbelieving mate in home, say, for instance, you're the believer and the unbelievers at home, don't get to thinking about, well, they're the ones that need to hear all this. They're the one that's wrong. They're the ones that need to get lined out by the Word of God today. They may. They may be the problem. But God always deals with the believer. The key to your home is not the unbeliever. The key is the believer. If you would get established in what God says and take the principles of God and begin to use them, I guarantee you that God's power would begin to straighten your home out. The same thing works for the nation. The Scripture says, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that if my people, which are called by my name, shall pray humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. The Scripture is not basing God's dealing with a nation on the unbelievers, but rather upon the believers. That's powerful. I want to take a little sideline here because there's a lot of people today preaching about America and preaching that, man, we're an ungodly nation and that we deserve the judgment of God and that the wrath of God's coming on it. Man, we're going to be overrun by communism and on and on and on it goes. And I agree that this nation as a whole is ungodly. And I agree that it deserves the damnation of God. It deserves to be destroyed if any nation ever deserved it because we've had the greatest privileges and we've abused it as much as any nation that ever was. I used to hear a a man preach that if God didn't destroy America, he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody else has heard that too, huh? Well, I used to hear that all the time. And that's a true statement with the exception that God does not want to give us what we deserve. God is not going to judge this nation for the ungodliness. If that was so, why isn't the nation of Russia getting judged? Amen? They're pretty ungodly. There's a lot more ungodly nations in America, and God's wrath has not come upon them. If judgment was to come upon America, it would be because God's people refused to stand in the gap and stand on Second Chronicles 7:14 and believe God for His mercy. God will spare this nation for ten righteous people, just like He did Sodom and Gomorrah. He would have spared it, and I believe He would have gone on down if Abraham would have kept dealing with Him, right? So you see, it's true. There's a truth. There's a lot of people saying America's not going to make it. America doesn't deserve to make it, but that has nothing to do with whether it will make it or not. If God's people will stand in the gap and believe and release their faith, brothers and sisters, God will preserve this nation for these people right here if you would humble yourself. And there's one of the most tremendous revivals going on today that has ever gone on, and it's, come, it's spearheaded through America. America's financing the gospel worldwide. And that's reason enough for God to spare it. Amen? 
So get out of this old negativism and talk and death and defeat about it and realize that the thing that's destroying America is not the ungodliness. It's the fact that God's people, the godly people, have not stood up and taken their righteous position. If America was to crumble, it would be because of God's people, not because of the ungodly. You all see that? And I'm applying the same principle to the home. You may have an ungodly mate, and they may be a real problem. But if your marriage was to fold, it will be to a large degree because of the believing person, because you didn't stand in the gap, and you didn't release your faith, and you didn't do what God's Word said. And it's important that you realize that. We had a lady that I dealt with that... I won't go into any detail, but her husband, it was the worst relationship I've ever seen in all of my life. It was, if I was to tell you, you'd agree. I won't go into all of the details, but it is the most ungodly relationship I've ever seen in all of my life. Her husband was terrible. But her husband didn't come to me for help. She did. So it didn't do me a bit of good to run her husband down and to say he needs to do this and do that. So I started with her. And I said, sure, he's done all of these things wrong, but have you forgiven him? Have you got any bitterness? Have you got any resentment in your heart? Are you really loving him with God's kind of love? And she, she wasn't. And it was understandable why she wasn't. I wasn't condemning her. And she thought, well, now, wait a minute. How come you're zeroing in on me? Sure, maybe I'm hurt, but how can I expect to be anything but hurt? Look what he's done. Her attention was on him. Finally, through a period of months, we got her attention on her, and she began to clean her act up, and she began to stand in the Word of God, and she began to get strong, and she began to love that man with God's kind of love, even though he deserved anything but that. And as a result, everything has turned completely around. It's transformed, not because of the ungodly man, but because of the godly woman began to get herself together and realize that she was the key to the situation. Amen? Y'all understand that? That's really important that you see that. Don't go to saying, well, I wish my husband or I wish my wife was here. You're, you're here. Amen? You take the Word of God. You begin to put it to work in your life, and you are the sanctifying element in your marriage. Praise the Lord. So anyway, over here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The word meet means sufficient or able. In other words, God was making a perfect aid or a perfect help for the man. And he said that it wasn't good that man should be alone. So what I want you to see through this is that God is the one that started marriage. God is the one that instituted He's the one that's responsible for it. A lot of people today are not aware of this. They think that really marriage is kind of their own deal. You're doing your own thing. You go out and pick your mate, and you go about it however you like. And if it doesn't work, fine. Divorce them and get you another one and try again and just keep going. And a lot of people haven't understood that God is the one that's responsible for instituting marriage. He, since He gave it, that means that God is also obligated to give us the rules and the regulations about how marriage functions. But you see, most people today, and the sad thing is, even Christians have not gone to God and gone to God's Word to see how marriage is supposed to be. Instead, they have just looked at the way the world does it. And basically, most Christians are acting just like a lost man in a marriage relationship in dating in marriage. Now, I've got some tapes on dating in marriage. I don't think we've got any here, do we? 
I think they're all given out. But if you'd like any of these tapes, we got some uh, pieces of paper back there. I'd like for you to order them. And it's important. Now, some of you have already got married, but there's some people here that aren't married today. And if you are not married, you need to find out the way that God ordained for you to get a mate. It's not the way that the world goes about it. And if you go about it the world's way, you will be very, I'll be very surprised if you get God's results going about it the world's way. Right? Nothing else works that way. If you were to try to obtain unto salvation the world's way, well, just, just do your best. Go to church, pay your tithes, keep your nose clean, and you're going to work your way to heaven. You can't get saved going about it the world's way. You've got to come through God's way, the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way unto the Father. It's the same thing with marriage. We've been really naive in this area to think that we can get God's results operating in our marriage by going about it the world's way. It will not work. The world system of dating and marriage and shopping around like a going grocery shopping, just walking down the aisles and picking you something that looks good and taking it home, that won't work. Amen? And that's precisely the reason that a lot of marriages are in trouble is because God didn't ordain them in the first place. Now, if God didn't ordain it, somebody might say, what do you do if you find yourself in it? Well, you sanctify it, amen, because it sure isn't going to do you any good to get a divorce and start over again. You sanctify it, and God can take it, and if you'll respond in faith, God can take that and make it so good that you can't imagine how it could be any better, amen? That's important. When we start talking about marriage, it's a touchy subject. It really is. Because our world is so messed up and even the Christian homes are so messed up that you bring up so many questions and you step on so many toes that a lot of people don't like to hear it. Right? But, brothers and sisters, we're going to have to start saying what God's got to say about it and if it steps on your toes, God will heal them. Amen? God will set you free. But we've got to get back. So the point that I'm bringing is God instituted marriage and God is the one that's responsible for making it work. Just like if you have a Ford car and if something goes wrong, take it back to the manufacturer. They're the ones that built it. They're the ones responsible for it. Why take it somewhere else? Amen. But today there's a lot of Christians that run into problems and instead of going to God's Word, they go to a marriage counselor, to a psychologist, or to somebody else, and I promise you, you are not going to find God's answer in a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And if anybody's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm sorry, I'm not against you, but I'm saying that you are dealing with the soulish realm, you aren't dealing with the spirit, and that's where the problem is. The very word psychology comes from the word psyche, which if you'd look it up in a dictionary, you'd find out that psyche means of the soul or pertaining to the soul. A psychologist deals with your emotion realm. They don't deal with your spirit realm. And your spirit's where the problem is. The way a psychologist deals with guilt is to tell you all this stuff about God's foolishness. Forget it. Anything's okay. Get the new morality. Don't feel condemned. Go out and commit adultery, lust. Do whatever you want to and just feel all right. You see, all they're trying to do is just soothe you over, numb you to the situation. They aren't dealing with the root problem at all. The way you deal with guilt is to get rid of sin. And the only thing that will do that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psychology is not the answer. And a psychiatrist or a marriage counselor outside of the Lord Jesus Christ is not the answer. 
You need to realize that if there's problems in a marriage today, there may be a lot of different reasons, but the root cause of it is the fact that we have not followed God's instructions for marriage. God ordained it, and God gave us the rules about how it could work. And Christians today need to get back and start basing a home on God's Word and quit going by, well, that's the way my parents does it, or this is the way everybody else does it, or this is the way it is on TV. If you're watching TV and if you're using that as a standard, you're going to wind up in divorce. That is not the way marriage works. It's terrible. A Christian hadn't got any business watching as the stomach turns every day. Did you know it? And that's the truth. Or as the world turns. That's what he's supposed to say it, isn't it? You have no business watching that kind of stuff. Because all it is is lust and adultery. And some of you, if you're watching that kind of stuff, you are destroying yourself. You're giving place to the devil in your life and in your marriage. Somebody might say, well, I just use that for entertainment. How could you use adultery and fornication and strife and hatred and emulations and things like that to entertain you? If that kind of thing entertains you, you're crazy for calling the Romans barbaric that murdered the Christians. Because you're doing the same thing. You're feeding on the doubt and the unbelief, the trash of the world for your entertainment. Praise God. We need to get clear of that kind of stuff. And we need to realize that all Satan is using those programs for is to plant seeds of doubt and unbelief in your heart. The devil has taught us so many false attitudes through the world system of love. Like, let's just, let's just deal with the subject of love, because that's the basic element, amen, involved in marriage is love, a God's kind of love. There's a world's type of love, and there's God's kind of love. And most people have an impression of love that is totally, totally wrong. Like, say, for instance, on these old soap operas, you find out that a person is just struck by love. They all of a sudden fall in love, or they fall out of love. They don't seem to have any control over the love. Now, you all have seen that, right, where somebody comes in and they say, Honey, I hate to do it. I really love you, but I, it's just bigger than the most of us. Somebody came into my life and I can't control it. I love them and it's just fate. There's nothing I can do about it. My love for you is not the way that it was. Any of you ever seen that? I know every last one of you has been exposed to that. And most Christians don't know any better than to think that love is just something that hits you and all of a sudden it's gone. It's a mystical thing that you can't grab hold of, you can't control it, you can't direct it. You've either got love or you don't have love. It's like a little cupid going around with a bow and an arrow and you get stuck and all of a sudden you've got love and all of a sudden you don't have love. And that's the world and most even most Christians' impression of love. And that is completely contrary to the Word of God. God's kind of love is not something that just all of a sudden hits you and you've got it and you can lose it. There's a lot of women that watch these old soap operas and they sit here and see people falling in and out of love. And I've dealt with a lot of ladies that really have a fear about is, there, is he going to, you know, all of a sudden somebody walk into his life and is he going to get a love for them and his love for me is going to leave. And they fear that kind of stuff. If it's God's kind of love, if your marriage is based on God's Word, it can't work that way. God's love doesn't function that way. You don't fall in and out of love. Let's look at a scripture over in the book of Titus, chapter 2, that will explain this. In Titus, chapter 2, it's Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 2, it says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, when I read this, it totally changed my thinking about God's kind of love because this right here said that the older women are supposed to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, if you'll think about that a minute and just turn your religious head off and really meditate on what that's saying, that's telling you that with God's kind of love, you can teach yourself to love your husband. You can teach yourself to love your children. It's not something that you've either got or that you don't have. Some people say, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just the kind of person that doesn't have much love. I'm not one of these real sweet persons. I don't operate in a lot of love. It's not something that you've either got that you were born with love or that you weren't. God's kind of love is a uh, decision from your heart. It's a spiritual force. It's not an emotional force. It does not arise out of the emotions. And the carnal world today has taught us that love is an emotional force, that you get overwhelmed and that, man, your emotions just go wild and you cannot control yourself. That is a lie. Any time that you cannot control the love that you feel, you had better rebuke the thing and cast it out and call it by its name name lust because God's kind of love can be controlled the scripture says out of first John I'm excuse me first Corinthians chapter 14 that the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets that's around verse 20 or 21 the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets God's gifts that's what he's talking about first Corinthians 14 do not overpower you. A person that says, man, I just had to speak in tongues. I couldn't help it. The Holy Ghost got on me. I had to run down the aisle. I had to jump a pew. I had to roll on the floor. I couldn't control it. I was in the Spirit. That's not God's Spirit. Amen or oh me. That's truth. If you don't like it, it's still truth. Amen. Some of you are looking at me like you don't like it. But that's the truth. Now, God's Spirit will come upon you sometimes, and if you are trying to obey God, He'll put enough pressure on you that you could say, in a sense, that, boy, the Lord came upon me and I couldn't help it. But the reason you couldn't help it is because you didn't want to help it. Because you wanted to submit to the power of God. You felt like jumping a pew, amen? There's nothing wrong with jumping a pew. There's nothing wrong with glorifying God with the dance. David did all of those things. But realize that you do have control over it. If you were to harden yourself and say, I refuse to do it, God does not make anybody do anything except in final judgment. God doesn't have robots. We have a free will. He never made anybody get saved, amen. He's not about to. You've got a free will and God will protect your right to kind of love is not something that just overpowers you. That's the world's impression of lust. And most of us, I'm talking to us today, I'm talking about Christians. Most Christians today have never renewed themselves and got over into God's kind of love. We are still operate in a carnal, selfish, sensual love. Did you know the word sensual? Most of the time, most people apply sensual as being something that is overtly bad, like, you know, real uh, extreme sexual conduct or something like that. 
That is sensual. But did you know if you look the word sensual up in the dictionary, it's the word sensual means of the five senses. That's where it came from. It is from the word sense. It has to do with your five senses. Being sensual just simply means that you are dominated by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And most Christians, the kind of love that they've operated in, it's a sensual love. They have operated in what they have felt. They've operated about the way that they have been treated, about the things that have been done to them. But God's kind of love is not based upon your feelings, and it's not based upon what the other person does. To prove that, look at the way Jesus loved us. That's God's love, isn't it? And the Scripture says out of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the way God's love operates. God's love is not based on any sense knowledge. It's not based on your works and upon your actions. It is based on a decision from His heart. God loved the world. Why did He love us? Because we were lovely? No, sir. There was not, you weren't worth spitting on. Did you know it? Some people think, well, I was pretty good. When I got Jesus, I just got better. Well, you missed it somewhere. Because without Jesus, you weren't worth spitting on. Now, in Jesus, you're a brand new creature, and that's a whole different thing. But you need to realize that apart from Jesus, you weren't worth saving. There was no reason God didn't gain. He didn't have anything to gain by coming down here and saving you, except for the fact that he loved you. All he gained was us. Which in the eyes of God, we are a tremendous prize. But it's only because of His love. Man, I tell you, I pastor churches and deal with people and some of the things that people do, to me, much less to the Lord. Some of the things that we've done to the Lord. I've told, I've told Jamie a lot of times, I praise God that I'm not the Lord. Because if I'd have been the Lord, my patience would have worn thin and I certainly would have just forgot about a few people a long time ago. But did you know the Lord doesn't do that? Praise God for it. Praise God for His mercy. It endures forever. God's love was not based upon our actions. That's God's kind of love. Most people in a marriage relationship, it's exactly the opposite. I love them because they've done something for me. I love them because they look good. That's lust. Now, I'm not saying that you should try and pick somebody that's got three eyes and a wart in between their nose. I'm not saying that you need to stray away from those things, but I'm saying that that's a byproduct. That is not the foundation of God's kind of love. But it's usually the opposite. Most Christians base their relationship in the physical, on the physical relationship in the emotional realm, on what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, and then they try and tack God's love onto it and ask God to bless something that they've already established. That's not the way that you do it. You come together in the Spirit. You, with your Spirit, choose to love a person, not because they look so great. Amen. And again, I'm not playing down looks. But some of you have learned that you may not stay looking like the high school homecoming queen. Right? You may not look that way 50 years from when you got married. And what happens if that's what you've based your life upon? You're going to wind up in a divorce just like a million, million, million other marriages because they did not base it on God's kind of love. That's the reason that women begin to get paranoid and they begin to get so vain and they go to spending thousands and thousands of dollars to get their wrinkles removed or their fat removed is because that's what's holding their marriage together. 
if that's what's holding your marriage together, you're going to have trouble from the start because that is not God's foundation. Amen? The reason I'm saying all of these things is to renew us and let us see that the way most people have begun to base their life, their Christian home together, it's nothing but Satan's system. It's nothing but Satan's values. It is not God's type of love at all. And we need to learn what God's love is. You can teach yourself to love your mate. Satan, I know, has come probably at all of you one time or another, and maybe there's been enough infractions and enough hard feelings in the marriage that at times you've just felt like, well, man, it isn't the same. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. And it just isn't the same, and the fire's gone out. And Satan has probably tried to make everybody think that one time or another. If you submit to that lie, then you're going to have problems. But if you'll sit down and say, look, I'm married to him. I know that that's what God wanted me to do. Or maybe if you missed it, say, well, I know that now we're in it. God sanctified it, and this is where God wants me to be. And because of it, God gave me a command to love my husbands. Ephesians chapter 5 gives the husband a command to love his wife. And so you say, I will love them. I will to love them. I speak that I love them with God's kind of love, and you can teach yourself to love. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, if you can grab hold of that little truth right there, it'll, that's, there's a lot more to share about a Christian home, but that right there would transform most homes because most people are basing it on, well, are you doing right? You didn't take out the trash for me. You didn't do this. You didn't help me with the kids. I don't like the way you did this. You haven't asked me out. We hadn't gone out to eat in so long. You didn't help me with the dishes and see. On and on and on. And uh, most relationships are based on, have you done enough for me? You didn't do this for me. Why should I do that for you? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't treat us that way? Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't say, well, you haven't witnessed for me. I'll just let you die of cancer. You deserve it. Praise God that the Lord is not that way. Praise God that His love is not based upon our actions. And we're supposed to love our mate with God's kind of love. Now, if we could get God's kind of love flowing in our marriage, brothers and sisters, I guarantee you, all of the other things that we'll be talking about, they'd, they'd iron themselves out. Because God's kind of love would always put the other person first. God's kind of love, you wouldn't even notice the, the things done wrong to you. God's kind of love, according to Hebrews chapter 8, says your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's how powerful God's kind of love is. The scripture says over in Proverbs that love covers the multitude of sins. Love covers the multitude of sins. It covers all sins. Love just overlooks them. You know, you've seen people that really fall in love and they just get so oblivious to anything else going on that they're walking around in the days, people make jokes about them, and they literally cannot see anything but good in the person that they love. They aren't aware of any problems. I've dealt with some people that were in a carnal type of love like that. It wasn't necessarily God's love, but they were in such an emotional state that they were making some mistakes and it was not God's will for them to get married. And we've sat down and tried to iron it out and say, look, this is not God's love. Look what's happening. Look how those people are doing. Look at the things they're doing wrong. You better open up your eyes. And they've just been oblivious to it. Well, I can't see anything. Because they're blind, and we've heard stories about that, you know, love's blind and all these kind of things. 
Well, now that's in the carnal realm, and that even has a truth there. But when you get in God's kind of love, God's kind of love, when it gets perfected on the inside of you, it covers the multitude of sins. And it, you won't be oblivious to what the person does, but you will not be moved by it any at all. It will not affect your relationship. And your love, your feeling about your mate will not go up and down according to their actions. If your life is based on what your mate is doing, you are doomed for divorce. Because I promise you, nobody's perfect yet. None of us have attained. And you are going to be up and down, and your mate's going to be up and down. And praise God for a godly mate that'll be able to be consistent and love you even when you're down. And treat you right even with you when you're down. That's what it's going to take to get a Christian home going is somebody that is basing their relationship on God's kind of love, not the physical, carnal, selfish type of love. Now, let me also say that you can't have a Christian home and operate in that kind of love and live a carnal life yourself. You can't apply your faith just in the area of a Christian home and try and bring your home together and have the rest of your life operating carnal. Because I promise you, if you are not seeking God, you're going to be selfish. That is human nature. That is the way that a person without being under the control of the Holy Ghost is. You are carnal and you are selfish and you are self-seeking. Right? Somebody pulls out in front of you in a car, the first thing you think, why would they do that to me? You don't think about the fact that they may have been there for five hours trying to get out, and they're desperate, amen. Immediately you think about how it was an infraction on you. You don't think about them. Somebody says something to you, immediately you feel the infraction to yourself, not them. That's carnal. That's selfish. That's self-centered. That's exactly opposite God's love. You must have done that this last week, huh? <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. But you see, that is not God's kind of love. And a person that is not, first of all, making Jesus their total commitment, putting Him first and foremost in their life, your home will never come together. Because you see, the only way you're going to get an unselfish love, it is contrary to human nature. You can't have an unselfish love without God. And if Jesus is not foremost in your life, then he cannot be foremost in your marriage. He cannot be flowing the God kind of love through your marriage and putting it together. So, brothers and sisters, it is important that you make a total commitment, both partners, to the Lord. That's where it's going to have to start. And for those of you that aren't married, that's exactly the reason the Scripture says not to be unequally yoked together with unrighteousness, with an unbeliever. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What portion hath he that believes with an unbeliever? Has Christ with Belial? It's impossible for two people to be flowing in God's kind of love if they are not committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's got to be the basis. A Christian home has to have Jesus as the center of it and not anything else. You must make a commitment of your life to get God's kind of love, an unselfish type of love flowing in your heart. Amen? It's very, very important. So I hope through that you see that you, this carnal type of love 
that the world sings about and talks about is not God's kind of love at all. And if you are basing your marriage relationship on what you knew before you got saved and that kind of a love and that kind of a relationship, you need to sit down and get into to do some business with God. And you need to restructure some things and you need to get it based on God. Right? Amen. Now, what we've been talking about so far is just the things that we've had the wrong attitudes. <laughs> we had not got into the things you're supposed to be doing yet. We've been trying to counter just the, the wrong attitudes about some things that we've had about the love relationship, about how that it is something other than God's love. Going back again to Genesis chapter 2, let's go back to this. God said that it was not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And then out of the ground, God formed all of the animals, the fowls of the air, all of these things, and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatsoever he called them, that was their name, but there was not found an help, meat, or sufficient for Adam. Now, God knew that there wasn't any animal that was going to provide that need that Adam had. But Adam didn't know that. And I really believe that that's the reason God brought all of these animals to Adam was to let him see that the only thing that was going to supply this need that he had was another person that had the exact same capabilities as him. You see, these animals did not have the spirit that Adam had. They did not have the same relationship. They could not fellowship on the same plane. Now, there's a number of things that you can get out of this. First of all, if all you needed, if all marriage was, was companionship, well, then you could have had a dog, amen? Because a dog, some of, some of you know that a dog can be a lot more company and friendship than your mate lots of times, right? Sometimes when they get to acting up, you go out and talk, that, talk to your dog, wish that your mate would act as good as your dog does to you sometimes. Well, you see, God was wanting more than just companionship in a marriage relationship. That wasn't it. The most important thing, the most important thing that's in a marriage relationship is spiritual relationship, not the physical. I'm not downplaying that. That's important. But that is not the most important. The most important thing was the spiritual relationship, and that's the reason that God made Eve for Adam, because it was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. It was another human being that had a spirit inside of it, and they were able to communicate spiritually. And did you know that there's a lot of Christians that didn't know that their spirit was supposed to be involved in a marriage relationship? I thought that was just physical. All that was was the physical relationship, having children and being a companion, and my spirit's my own business. No, your spirit is supposed to be a part of the marriage relationship. That's the most basic, fundamental part of the marriage relationship. And you get a couple that's united in their spirit and married in their spirit, made one spiritually, and I promise you that the soul and the physical part will all work out the way that it's supposed to. The spiritual part is the most important. It ought to have the first priority, and you ought to come together in the spirit first. But most people come together in the physical first and then try and get God's blessings upon it and then try and get the spiritual aspect working in their Christian life. That is wrong. You don't do it that way. I've had it explained to me like this, like if you could imagine a, a, what do you call those, isosceles triangle where the two sides are equal 
And then there's the base. Right here's the base and here's the triangle. Up at the top of the triangle would be God and here's man down here and woman over here. The way that the world comes together is that the man and the woman come together and find each other. They believe that they like each other, so they decide to get married, and then they commit their life to God, and they start seeking God. See, going right straight up towards the top of the triangle, towards God. Now, that's the way that most people go at it, but you see, you're opening yourself up for a lot of demonic attack, because what if you get together with the wrong one? There could be a lot of problems. You can come together with unbelievers. And don't fool yourself, man, we minister to literally untold numbers of people that have ruined a good part of their life because they just went into marriage half-hearted and decided it was just their choice. They'd pick whoever they wanted to choose. If you don't like them, take them back. Amen. Get you another one. And they've ruined their life. That's not the way you go about it. A Christian, the way to do it is that the woman starts seeking towards God with all of her heart. The man starts seeking God with all of her heart. And the closer you get to being in the center of God's will, the closer you get to God, inevitably you and your wife or your mate have to come together. For you to be in the center of God's will, you would have to bump into your mate. God will bring you together. And see, that's what happened here. God created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. God's the one that brought Eve to Adam. God didn't create Eve and turn Eve loose and tell Adam, go find her. Y'all see that? But basically, that's the way most people think, well, I've got to go find her. No, you go find God. You get in God with you. You seek God with your whole heart. And the Scripture says God will not withhold any good thing from them that love him. And then in Proverbs it says that whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing. So the Lord will not withhold the wife from us. You seek God and God gives you your wife. Amen? Do you all see that? And when you come together like that, you will come together spiritually and you will have a spiritual relationship established and then the soulish part and the physical part, they'll be important. And God created the physical to enjoy. I am not downplaying that. But I'm saying that this other has been so neglected that I'm upplaying it. I'm emphasizing it. That if that is correct, the rest will work out. The rest will come to pass. Amen? But so many Christians, especially spirit-filled Christians even, have neglected the spiritual attitude the spiritual relationship. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have prayer and if you don't have agreement in your home, you need to get it. And you don't need to come under condemnation and say, oh, you know, in my family, I remember that they had preached about you need to have devotions or you need to have reading or prayer or something like that. And my dad would get convicted and come home and says, we're going to start Bible studies. Prayer. And it was like we had to do it. He was doing it because he was convicted. He knew he needed to do it. So he had regimented, and we had all, well, who's going to do it? And pretty soon you'd get to fighting over who's going to read the Bible, who's going to pray, and let's do it now, and let's do it then, and let's do it this time. Pretty soon we wound up forgetting it until the next guy came along and preached on it. And we went through that a bunch of times. Don't, don't do something like that. Don't feel like, don't force it. Just sit down and say that we need to start spending some time together. We need to start developing a spiritual relationship and sit down and start sharing. And you'll probably feel peculiar at it if you haven't done it because, and this is something that's sad, but it's true. Most married couples feel comfortable with each other in the physical realm and in the soulish realm. But boy, when you start sharing the innermost secrets of your heart, they get paranoid because they've never really fellowshiped on that kind of a plane before. 
and it's embarrassing. It makes you feel like you're kind of naked because you've never opened up. You've never let anybody see inside there before. But brothers and sisters, that's exactly what the Christian home is supposed to be like. You are supposed to be fellowshipping on that deep plane. That's what makes it different. And if you have not added that kind of a preeminence to the spiritual relationship that's in the home, you need to do it. Let me also say, again, there's some people here that are not married. If you cannot develop a spiritual relationship before you get married, don't think you're going to develop it after you get married. It can be done. But if you can't do it before you get married, it's going to be harder to do after you get married. You might as well sit down and chunk it off and say it didn't work. Amen? Don't you sit there and think that, that marrying in a physical relationship is going to produce spiritual relationship. That is not true. Matter of fact, I'd say in probably more cases than not, it's adverse the opposite direction. Right? So don't anybody get fooled in that. You need to emphasize the spiritual. You need to come together spiritually. And the spirit needs to be an important part in the home. Your spiritual relationship. That's the reason that these animals were brought to Adam, I believe. It doesn't just say that straight out, but I believe that that's the purpose, is that God was showing Adam is that there was nothing else to fulfill that relationship. It was not just physical companionship. It was not just seeing something else that was alive and had breath in it. It was the spiritual aspect that only another human being with a spirit in it could provide. Amen. Do you all see that? And that's the important part of marriage. You need to start putting a preeminence on that. And I tell you, you, you probably won't get there overnight. Don't anybody get condemned and go home and say, well, boy, we've got to do it. And if you don't see spiritual unity by in the morning, give up. Don't do that. Realize that this is something that you're going to have to develop. And most people really don't ever open up. You'd be surprised how many people I minister to and talk to. And I, there's a lot of people that I don't know how to describe this, but it just to me is like they're plastic. You can look right at them and you can talk to them. They're smiling. They're carrying on. They're just, you know, outwardly it looks great. But you never penetrate into their heart. You never really dig down and touch the real them. There's not a real relationship with them. And most people are like that. Most people will not open up. And there's a lot of husbands and wives that have no idea what the, what the mate really feels and what they really are because they've never fellowshiped on that plane. You know, you hear people talk about a communications problem in marriage. And I agree that that's a tremendous problem. But the reason it's a problem is because they are not fellowshipping in the spiritual realm. It's only physical. All they know about each other is physical and some of the traits that they see in each other. You've never fellowshiped like what God intended. But you get a couple that fellowships in the Spirit, that they both fellowship about the Lord. They share their innermost feelings with each other. And I guarantee you there's no communication problem there. The reason there's communication problem is because it's just limited to the physical and to the soulless realm. Amen. If you'll get this spiritual part flowing within you, I guarantee you, it'll knock down barriers. Praise God, I could go a hundred different directions on that. How do you minister on all of this in one little short deal? You better get all three tapes, Ivy. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I tell you, there's, there's no easy way to answer all of that. Somebody might say, well, how do you implement all this? There's just no easy way. You'd have to know where your situation is. I tell you, one of the things that I've found that is the most important 
and get a marriage relationship back on the right track and going. That is, that when one of the partners, the believer, sees that they're wrong or that their marriage and relationship is not what it should be, they usually go in and they say the things that they say in a condemning fashion. Like they say, well, our home isn't good. You have not taken the leadership of this home the way that you should. You haven't been fellowshipping with me. You have not been seeking the Lord the way that I have, and things got to change. Well, now, if you start presenting it like that, I guarantee you it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because what you're going to do is raise up that old person's pride and arrogance, and here you are pointing your finger at them. They're going to get defensive, and they're going to start building walls and start op- instead of opening up. That's not the way to go about it. The easiest way to get your mate to open up is to find the things that's wrong with you and confess them. Right? I've seen this even in relationship with other people. Somebody does something kind of wrong, Maybe they aren't repentant about it, but maybe you did something a little wrong too. So you go up, and instead of mentioning what they did, you say, I want you to forgive me. My attitude towards you is not right at all. And I'm just as sorry I was wrong, and I ask you to forgive me. Most people, nine times out of ten, when you do something like that, when they see your repentance, see, before that time, they're kind of upset with you. Like, you get out of line, and I'm going to zap it to you. But when they see your repentance then those people, they have, most of the time they'll turn around and say, well, I'm sorry. It wasn't only your fault. It was me too. Y'all see that? You've seen that in people, haven't you? I have that when you say, well, I was wrong, they'll usually turn around, well, it's not only your fault. I was just as wrong as you were. It makes it easier for them to open up, you see, because they aren't feeling like that they're knocking themselves down below you. You've already humbled yourself. You've already knocked yourself down a few steps, see? And so it makes it easier for them to open up. And the same thing will operate in the marriage relationship. If you see something wrong in the home, if they did nine things wrong and you did one thing wrong out of ten, don't go mention what they did wrong. You go say, look, I see that I have not done this, I haven't been as open, I have not done these things. Would you please forgive me? And don't go poking and say... I've had people come at it this way and say, well, I know that I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done this. Of course, it's all your fault. You started it, but I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. And forgive me. If you go at it that way, you just blew it. That is not the way that you ask forgiveness. All you did was sow more strife by doing it that way. The way to approach it is leave their part alone. Let the Holy Ghost do some things. Amen? Did you know some people think that they're the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is sent to reprove of sin. You are not a reprover of sin. Now, sometimes the Holy Ghost will use you. I'm not saying that you never mention anything because there's times that the Holy Ghost uses you to, to reprove a person. But basically speaking, you are not the Holy Ghost. You are not the one that's supposed to be judge and jury and convict them and, uh, you know, judge them. You deal with your part and you confess that I'm the one that's wrong. Say, forgive me, I haven't been really sharing some things that are on my heart. I haven't really opened my heart up to you. We've just kind of been coexisting and living together, but I have not really shared with you the way that I'm supposed to. And say that God showed me that I need to do that and ask forgiveness. You won't have to say one more thing, and that person immediately, immediately, every time will see that, well, 
you know, I've done the same thing you have, or I've been just as bad about it as you have, and immediately, you see, they see, and they're, they're enlightened. And be patient with them. Give them some time. Maybe they haven't had the revelation that you have. Maybe they didn't have the benefit of coming here and hearing it. But if you'll be patient with them, they'll get hold of it. And so I would say through all of that that one of the easiest ways to implement change in a marriage is not to go tell that person what they need to change. You find out the things that you need to change in and you be honest and sit down and confess it. And if you're not willing to humble yourself in front of your mate, well, then you can forget the whole thing because it's not going to work. Because brothers and sisters, I don't care who you are, I don't care what kind of problems you've had in a marriage, you cannot have strife without two people. Whether you were the originator of it or whether you just received it and ran with it, strife has to come through two people. You won't sit there and argue with that wall, right? You won't get mad at it. Now, you might lose your temper and you might hit it, but I guarantee you that's about it. You aren't going to sit there and over a prolonged period of time argue with that wall because it's not responsive to it. This lady that I told you about you know, at the very first that had one of the worst home situations that there ever was. One of the things that was really getting her was her husband was quite a talker. And he could out-talk her, and he just beat her into the ground with his tongue, as well as physically broke her neck, tried to kill her, poured hot grease on her, took butcher knives to her, did all kinds of things. But the worst part of it was the physical part, the way he dominated her with her tongue. And she said, the things he said, it's just unreal how he can destroy you. And finally, I had to tell her, I said, look, there's something wrong with you. And she says, no, it's him, the things he's saying. And I said, well, I know he's saying those things, but I said he could say them to me and it wouldn't knock me flat on my face and it wouldn't destroy me and hurt me the way it's hurting you. And I said, the reason for it is because he doesn't have the dominion over me. I have not submitted myself to those lies and deception. I said, there is something in you that's wrong that you're so receptive to that strife. And, of course, there's no easy answer to that. She'd been living with him a long time, all of these problems. But, you see, they had heard her. He could see that when he was saying those things, where you are not moved by what anybody says, you're moved by what God says. And if that man says anything about you, it just doesn't affect you. It wouldn't affect you any more than it would affect me if he was to come say it about me. And she didn't get there overnight, but she did get there. She did get to a place where he could say things about her, and she'd just throw it off and love him and tell, her that, tell him that she loved him, didn't matter what he said about her. And did you know... When she quit responding to what he said, he quit saying it because what did he have to gain by saying it? It was just like beating his head against the wall. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He wasn't seeing it produce. He wasn't seeing it beat her down and destroy her. So he quit it. Amen? And brothers and sisters, you can apply the same thing in your life. If there's strife in your home, you may not be the originator of it, but you have at least received it. There is something wrong with you in the marriage if there's problems in the marriage. You may not have started it, but you have at least allowed it and continued it. So start with yourself and confess yourself the things that you've done wrong. You humble yourself and it'll open up a door of communication with your mate. It'll allow them to start humbling themselves. Let me also say something else that... I think it's important because there's a lot of people that teach. Some of you probably have heard about how to believe for your mate if your mate is not saved. 
or if your mate isn't walking with the Lord and things like this. And they tell you how you can begin to believe for your mate. And I've even heard it presented to the point that a person says, I've claimed them for the Lord and blessed God. They are getting saved. There is no choice. It's coming to pass. God's setting our home together. Well, I want to share this. I don't want to get you mad at me, and I don't want to do any of these things, but you can't do that. You can believe for your mate, and you can release so much faith towards them and so much anointing and, and conviction of the Holy Ghost that I believe that nine times out of ten, anybody in their right mind will respond to it. And I do believe that they will receive, but you cannot say that they have to receive because they have a free will and God will not force them to be saved. You can't do that. The Scripture says out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. Now why would the Scripture tell us if the unbelieving depart, let them depart, if it was impossible? All you had to do was release your faith and claim them and they had to come in. It's possible that a person can get to operating in the Holy Ghost, and I say that it's rare, but in some cases a person will be so reprobate they are rejecting God and they are refusing to do it and God won't force them and that person may leave if you start doing it. Amen? I don't say that to produce discouragement, but I say it to open our eyes up because there's some people that have thought somehow or another they had the ability to control their mate. You don't. You can sanctify them, and there's a difference between sanctifying. The word sanctify means to set apart. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says that the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, and the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. You can sanctify your mate. The word sanctify means to set apart. In other words, like this lady that I've been using as an example, her husband was demon-possessed. He called up the dead. He left his body... He could travel all throughout the world. He um, could levitate tables. He was demon-possessed to the hill, had all kinds of problems. And it was demonic powers that was using him. Now, of course, he was in agreement with them. He was using the demonic powers, and they were using him. But it was demonic, the things that were coming at her, and she began to sanctify him, set him apart from those things. And he lost his powers. He couldn't call up the dead anymore. He couldn't leave his body. He couldn't levitate tables. All of his powers quit around her because she started sanctifying him and remitting him and say, Satan, you can't do a thing. And that guy just finally broke down and he says, I'm leaving. He says, I can't do anything around you. He says, I'm afraid of you. And before that, he had been the one trying to kill her. She's a little lady. He's a big man. And he left home. And she's still believing for him, and now they're having Bible studies every day, and she's laying hands on him every day and casting the demons out of him. And he said, now you quit rebuking the devil over me. And she said, I'm not quitting until every last one leaves. And she's believing that he's coming back. He's fighting to get her back now, but she's, he's wanting to come back, and she says, not until it gets straightened up the way that it's supposed to be. We aren't getting back in an unholy marriage. Amen. She's above only and not beneath. Before, she was beneath and not above. Amen. The whole thing's changed around. But the point I'm saying is that she sanctified him. She set him apart from those things, but he still has a free will. That man is close to responding, and I hope and believe that he will. But I cannot say that he will for sure because that man has a free will. I can say this, that God's dealing with him. I can say that God has definitely convicted him. I can say that I have seen the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost touch him. And I can say that if he's got any smart, he'll respond. 
but I can't say what he's going to do. And that's something you need to understand. A lot of people minister Mark 11, 23, and 24, which I certainly believe, and I preach Mark 11, 23, and 24, about you can have whatsoever you say, whatsoever things you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. But you can't make that work for somebody else. It said whatsoever things you desire. When you pray, you believe that they receive them. No, it said that you receive them and you shall have them. That is not saying that you can stand on Mark 11:24 and make this person get saved. You can't do it because they got a free will. If that's true, Jesus wasn't very strong in Mark 11:23 and 24 because there was more people that rejected him and went to hell than there was that got saved. Jesus blew it. Jesus didn't know much about Mark 11, 23, and 24 if you can use it to dominate another person's will. And, of course, we know that that isn't the truth. Jesus operated perfectly. But that does not mean that you can dominate another person with those Scriptures. And it's important that you realize that. The Scripture says if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. If they're going to depart because you act on the Word of God, well, then they would have departed anyway. If the Word of God's going to drive somebody off, you didn't need it anyway. Anybody get that? If you have to compromise the Word of God to keep something, you'd be better off not having it. Because God's Word is where it's at. And brothers and sisters, the only hope for your home to endure is to get it based on God's Word. If God's Word being ministered and lived and put first place in your home is going to destroy it, you didn't have anything to start with. Did you know that? Because, brother, God's Word is the only thing that holds things together. That's where the power comes from. That's where God's kind of love flows from. Amen? So we need to start realizing something. I'm not trying to destroy homes. I'm trying to do just the opposite. I'm saying that when you start operating on the Word, nine times out of ten, you're going to see the home change. A man would be stupid to reject his wife if she really started acting and talking and walking like Jesus. Man, any, even a carnal person would be attracted to somebody like that. Did you know it? And the same thing with a man. If a man started acting and talking and walking like Jesus, a woman would be plumb crazy to reject him, even if she didn't accept the Lord. And we've got some examples of that, people in our Bible studies that we've ministered to. Where the husband is not a believer, the wife is, and because she's begun to act the way that she's supposed to, that man loves her, he's begun to, he is one of the best acting husbands that ever was, and he's not even saved. He prays with her when the kids get sick. He won't take them to the doctor because she believes in healing. He doesn't necessarily, but he believes that she does so much that he's in total agreement. When she got ostracized by the family because she led the nieces and the nephews to the Lord and they got the baptism of the Holy Ghost and went home speaking in tongues and the family separated them from their company, the man stood up and says, that's what our home stands for. He's standing for the Lord and he doesn't even know Jesus. But he can see the effects of Jesus. He sees the benefits of it, and he'd be crazy to turn his back on that. Amen? I'm not saying that acting on the Word is going to destroy your home. It will bring it together nine times out of ten. But you do need to realize there are some people who, if Jesus was to live in front of them themselves, they'd still try and crucify him. And those people, you cannot dominate their will and make them change. Amen? 
That's another reason why it's so important that a marriage relationship come together that you not be unequally yoked with another person because you cannot change their will. They have a will. Make sure their will is set in favor of God, that they're seeking God before you get invited, I mean, before you get involved in something. Make sure of it because I promise you, you do not have the power to change their will. You better find out where their will is set and see if it agrees with yours before you get into it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, I tell you, we didn't even get started. I didn't get to my first point, I guess. I don't have points. But I didn't get to where I was headed anyway, but I guess we're going to have to slow down. I'd like to ask if there's anybody here that has some questions. Maybe I mentioned something. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.